Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, this is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who really love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello. Coming up on today's show, Kanye has a new song and it's high time we talked about the lyrics. Of course, we're going to do one long and deep dive into the worst Bachelor series in history and the teen stars who fell from grace. Why are they all suddenly back on our radar? But of course, Michelle, first, how was your week? It was a really good week. It was a relaxing week. And I think that was in part because the weather was so bloody amazing. Yeah, it's nice when the weather actually starts getting good in Melbourne. You notice that everybody's moods goes up tenfold. Oh, I think I have seasonal affective disorder. Definitely. I think most people do in this city. Yeah. As soon as the sun comes out, I am happy and energized and ready to go. If it is cloudy and gray and miserable, my mood mirrors that. 100%. But no, it was a great week. I read a lot, which I really enjoyed. For anyone listening and who obviously loves celebrity and pop culture, which is why you guys are all here, I highly, highly recommend Holly Wainwright's new book, which is How to Be Perfect. We are a bit biased, of course, because Mm. Holly is our ex-boss and we love her, but that book is incredible and I really recommend it because it follows... A few women who are all in the mummy blogger scene, but her second book, which is, it's the sequel to her first book, which is called The Mummy Bloggers. I feel like it actually appeals more to a variety of women, not Mm. just women who are mums and I highly recommend it. Uh, That's next on my list because I just finished Leanne Moriarty's, which I did say last week I was struggling with. Yes. I... Everybody messaged me after that podcast and said, stick to it. The last half of the book definitely picks up and it does. I don't think it's her best Interesting, but definitely a read. I mean, a good read. She wouldn't do anything terribly. Yeah. So I would recommend that. And we're going to do a book swap. Exactly. And I've just picked up a new one as well. I picked up um, Jodie Picoult's new book, Mm -hmm. which was, I didn't even know that she had released it. No, she's been off my radar for a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And I felt so um, funny picking it up. And I felt like this was a little bit of unconscious bias inside of me or internalized bias because I picked it up and I thought immediately, oh, this is going to be one of those reads that people look at me on the train and sort of just like giggle as a chick flick. And I realized automatically, I mean, that's what we talk about a lot when we talk about female authors and how they're not often taken seriously. And I was preemptively embarrassed for having read that on the train. I started the book and I was so angry at myself because I love... I don't mind what anybody says, but some of her turn of phrase is some of the most beautiful writing I read. Oh, she is a gorgeous and writer. she always hits the zeitgeist so well, given how far in advance she writes these books. So her last book was a really brilliant book on racial tensions in the US. This one is set, I'm only a little bit into it, in, in a abortion clinic. And given Brett Kavanaugh this morning was, is going to be ushered in as on the Supreme Court and might actually, you know, undo a lot of abortion rights in America. I thought that was really brilliant. The fact that it's just timed so well. So that's what I'm reading 
I'm going to keep you updated. I don't know how this turned into a book recommendations podcast. No, I love Jodie Picot. You put me back onto her this summer. With small great things. Yeah, with small great things. Because when I was in Bali, I read that book and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I love getting towards summer because I feel like that's when I read so much more. I noticed that this week. I uh, I felt a bit more flat this week. I'm not going to lie. I had one of those weeks where I felt desperately drained. So I read that book as fast as I could because I thought that's how I usually get my mind back. And I made my dad go to the lap pool with me and we did laps. Because I was like, maybe this is how I'm going to get my sort of mind reset a bit because I'm not exercising with my phone. Like there's nothing else with me if I'm going to get in a pool and swim. Mm. And so that was a really good thing. So I'm going to read a lot more now because I think it might sort of bring a bit of life back to me. Just quickly on that point on your phone as well. Yeah. I somehow activated the setting that tells me my average week spent on my phone. I refuse to do this. Oh my God. It is the most revealing thing I've ever done in my life. So basically my iPhone secretly documents how long I'm spending on it every day. And then on a Sunday will give me a weekly report on how I did. This is the iOS 12 update. I saw you had four hours and 40 minutes. So anyone who wants to comfort me in the Facebook group, please come join me. Shameless celebrity gossip. I promise you, I promise you, I will put a wager here on me having spent more time on my phone during the day. I spent four hours and 50 minutes on average and... That was a decrease from the week before, which was over five hours. But do you think do you think we can get away with it because we can say a lot of it's work? Yeah, well, this no. is the thing. So I'm in two minds because part of me, I'm like, well, I am a freelance writer, but that's total bullshit. Deep down, I know that I'm spending all that time on Instagram and And you Facebook. don't have a commute though. So if I'm spending time on the train, all I'm doing is looking at my phone. Yeah, I would love to know what my time on my phone was like when I was at Mamma Mia because then when we were at our desk, we probably weren't on our phone as much. Whereas when I'm working yeah. at home on my couch, no one's really looking. I, I think I will have a much bigger number than five hours. That's why I refuse to update my phone. If anyone's listening who wants to share their average time and their weekly report, please Let's do. Let's start a competition in the Facebook group, Shameless Celebrity Gossip. If you have the iOS 12 update, please post in there because then I'll feel strong enough to update my phone to give myself the stats. What's normal? Should I emphasize? three hours I think I'll I don't for think three. any of it's normal I don't <sighs> think having a phone and being this addicted to it is normal but none of us are normal so we're just gonna I'm have to... so addicted it's sad yeah okay before we get too involved in the psychology of my addiction to my phone all of ours can we please talk about Kanye West yeah so this was really song. interesting someone put this in our Facebook group this week and said can you girls talk about this and I had heard this song it is a song called I like it. I love it. I love it. He doesn't just like it, Zara. He do you know, loves it. Do you know why I'm saying that? It's because Nick Cummins only used the word like, not love, in the last episode <laughs> of The Bachelor, which we will get to. Um, tell me how you feel about this song because some people find it incredibly problematic. Some people find it's just music and it's an exhausting uh, thing, having conversations about art like this. Well, this is obviously incredibly popular, right? This broke YouTube records for the fastest downloaded music video of all time. It's had over 200 million views and streams on YouTube. So clearly people are loving it and clearly it's generating a lot of discussion. There's plenty of problematic lyrics, right? Plenty of talking about Out there or in this song? In this song. Yeah, of course. And yeah, a lot of them are very graphic and sexual. I actually don't take the biggest issue with those lyrics. My least favourite line is, I'll buy you some new tits, I'll get you that nip tuck. Tell me, what's your problem with that? (laughs) That seems completely unproblematic. Uh, I think there's a very fine line between being sexually liberating and being sexually degrading. Mm. And a lot of the listeners in our Facebook group were saying that Kanye West and Lil Pump, (laughs) which I can't take you seriously when you try to pronounce Lil Pump. Lil Pump is his name. So (laughs) that's what we're going to go with. Lots of our listeners were saying, oh, well, 
these two guys were actually saying how great we love that you're a hoe please stop laughing at me i can't help it that's his okay, rapper sorry. name <laughs> it's all well and good for kanye west to come out and say i love you being a hoe however this song and so many songs in the rap genre don't just depict women as hoes they depict them as nothing more than sexual objects mm. and songs like this position women as nothing more than objects of male sexual desire mm-hmm. so that's where my problem with it is having said that though i listen to almost exclusively this genre of music when i'm at the gym and i don't know why that is but if someone looked through my playlist of what i listen to when i'm working out it's really offensive but misogynistic. It's that, kind of, it's that kind of angry undertones of the music that probably make you run faster or want to pound the pavement. And I don't think there's anything, I'm not going to be wanky enough to say there's something in it about making you angrier about the patriarchy and running faster. But I do think those kinds of musics have a certain aggressive tempo to them, which makes a bit of sense. For me, I was in many minds about this before we started. I don't know if it was just because of my mood this week where I was just generally apathetic. So I felt a little apathetic and it wasn't until I really dug into the nitty gritty nuance of the genre of music and particularly this song that I began to think a little more. There was a great piece in The Guardian a while ago by Trisha Rose and she was talking about how hip-hop in general is quite problematic and obviously the hip-hop genre of music didn't invent sexism but they certainly exacerbate the problem. They do a great job of perpetuating it. Yes, and she said it's quite true that hip-hop has played a starring role in making sexist ideas sexy, visible and funky and frankly if you want to find openly celebrated sexism against black women there is no richer contemporary source than commercial mainstream hip-hop and I thought straight away maybe this is why I'm apathetic is because I'm white and I haven't thought a lot about how this industry paints women of colour like this in far more than they paint white women and this is one of those scenarios that that you are blind often to your own privilege even though I do find a lot of this stuff very degrading perhaps it's a much worse scenario than for women of colour. What I find interesting is with this kind of song, it's very simple for me in that sometimes I just want to be like, let's just enjoy a song and and live a little bit rather than unpicking things all the time. And I'm still going to enjoy the song. It's stuck in my head. It's been stuck in my head for 24 hours. But for me, it's as simple as the lyrics being you're such an effing hoe and making that an okay mainstream sort of phrase to call women that even whether it's a joke or whether it's serious putting that kind of language in the mainstream and having people sing it I just don't really like because I don't think that kind of uh, language should be normalized like slut and hoe often are normalized as things that we can call women when they do certain things and I wonder if it would be normalized so much if there wasn't such a massive underrepresentation of women in the entertainment industry so there was a report in the New York Times earlier this year that reported only 2% of music producers are women. Mm. And that is just insane that the main people shaping the lyrics and the songs that we hear. And the messages. Are men. We're we're foolish if we don't think that music has message to it. Exactly. And that said, I don't want to act like hip-hop and rap are the only God, no. music genres that have a problem. This same study that was reported in the New York Times also looked at country music and how country music actually mentions things like drugs more than rap music does, which is really fascinating. And we can, I think, as white people, look really uh, – we can look down at black music with – 
our nose is turned up, I but guess. With the sense that it's not as legitimate. Exactly. And I also liked a piece in The Guardian by Tahaka Love that said, stereotypically, black criminality, rambunctiousness and rebelliousness has always excited white audiences, but never to the point of them wanting to solve it. It's just entertainment until they realise that the same vicious system affecting black people resides in their midst as well, that drugs, misogyny and rape culture are as insidious in white spaces as they are in black ones, mm. and sometimes even more so. It's not black nihilism, but something more universal that is sitting at the top of our charts. Mm, it's a good line or a couple of lines. Yeah. This is just going to be one segment of us quoting people because the last piece that I wanted to bring into this was a great story. And I'm going to put this in the Facebook group and the show notes because it was a really brilliant look at all music that is relatively offensive and how as women we can take that on and consume it. And it was by Anne Freeman for the cut. And it was based on Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke because when that song came out, a lot of people just started blindly singing along without realizing how rapey it was. And she said at the very end, and I thought this was a great way to end the piece, she said, I'll probably continue to compartmentalize, alternating between thinking critically and participating in absent mind and enjoyment, which I feel like I do all the time. But (laughs) I like to think that the joy I get from music infuses my more serious critical efforts. After all, I wrote most of this article while dancing in my chair to the sounds of the Blurred Lines video open in another browser window, which I thought was really great because it was so realistic. I do absolutely alternate between thinking critically and not caring at all and just not having the energy to care at all. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if it does infuse a lot of her creativity and a lot of her work, then, you know, maybe there's something good to come out of it too. Do you think we can reclaim the word ho when the people trying to reclaim it with inverted commas around that is men? No, and this is what frustrates me very quickly about the sexual liberation argument regarding this uh, video in particular because I don't think you can reclaim it when it's in the frame of a, of a man's song and a man's world like this is Kanye's project and he's sort of uh, putting the guidelines around in the framework around what he thinks sexual liberation looks like and at the end of the day I think if a man is doing that then it is by definition sexual degradation am I going too far do you think no I agree with that I don't think you can reclaim a word or reframe a word as being somehow powerful or, or empowering when the person doing that is and defining that yeah is a man it doesn't make much sense to me and I know that Adele Givens was one of the people involved in that song and I liked her part in it but I don't think it erases the presence of two men who dominate completely the lyrics and the messages of that song which is basically that women are nothing more than a pair of tits and ass that they want to have sex with I thought that's what we were <laughs> kidding I just think I, what where I want to finish with this is that I think that we are all in the words of Deborah Francis White very guilty feminists and that is a very good thing and a very okay thing just as long as we're self-aware about what we're consuming and I think that's all it comes down to being self-aware about what we're consuming what it does and and potentially who it hurts And now it's time for the quick and dirty. You guys know the drill. Every week we bring you the top five stories that you might have missed from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara, it is your turn this week. You've sort of hijacked this one for number one because you made me put this story in. Sort of a taste (laughs) of my own medicine. Story number one, Mike the Situation Sorrentino gets eight months in prison for tax evasion. That's from news.com.au. (laughs) dot a you got there would it surprise you for me to tell you that i have no idea who mark the situation sorrentino is (gasps) oh my god what kind of celebrity podcaster am i i'm pretty sure that when jersey shore was on Uh, you know jersey shore right yeah but i've never seen it oh oh my god yeah 
I feel it's like exposing after, all the flaws. After we record this podcast, we're going to put an episode of Jersey Shore on. No, we're not. I put this in because anyone who's watched Jersey Shore would be giggling their little bum off right now. Uh, my favorite quote, which he said to the judge, which made apparently the courtroom erupt into chuckles, was, I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I don't even drive that fast anymore. <laughs> so I'm assuming he does drink, does do drugs, does cheat, steals, and probably well, drives fast. He did for a time. A lot of the evidence that was given was quite hilarious. He and his brother did dodgy things with about $8 million that he made mostly from nightclub appearances. He was paid $48,000 for Is one Is this is why he's nightclub. called The Situation? The Situation, I think, was referring to his abs situation. <laughs> I also remember. Sometimes I hate the world. I also remember. I would have watched this when I was mid-teens, maybe fifteen or sixteen, and I sent in a text. They had some weird generated text thing to do with Jersey Shore. Is this you the kind of thing you want name. to be admitting? Yeah, no. But you would text in your name, and it would tell you who you are, and. Me and all my sisters got the situation. I have no idea why, but there you go. It's like the earliest form of a BuzzFeed quiz. I voted for Matt Corby incessantly when he was on Australian Idol, if it makes you feel better, via the text line. That seems irrelevant. but (laughs) At the time when it popped into my head, it seemed to be on a similar theme. (laughs) Number two, which Bachelor Australia cast member gained the most Instagram followers? That's from Elle Australia. I also made you put this in. What a stunning piece of journalism. This is the type of content that we need more of. I think that this can be... Uh, unpopular opinion. I don't think it needs to be an article. I think it can be a personal research assignment. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would just like to share that Brooke gained the most followers. Are you surprised by that? God, no. Brooke gained the most, followed by Cass. Not yep. surprised by Not that surprised. either. Total sweetheart. Love you, Cass. And Sophie. Yeah, right. I have to agree. I think it was your cousin commented on this thread that said she was frustrated by the method at which. Um, <laughs> was it Carolyn? Is that this? Yeah, Carolyn's a PhD student this, in science. This so might not surprise you. She yeah. said she was frustrated by the method at which they went about the research because they actually only decided the winner based on increase, not percentage. Mm. And I thought it's true. It really should be a percentage of overall followers increasing. Carolyn, you should get in touch with the editors of Elle Australia. Maybe they'll rectify it. (laughs) This is true. We've done it for them. So anyone from Elle's listening, that's where our problem lies. The rest of the article was brilliant. And I will always applaud tackling stupid celebrity stories with a very nerdy perspective. (laughs) At least make them accurate. (laughs) Number three, Shane Warne shares what really led to his and Liz Hurley's relationship breakdown. That's from Mamma Mia. I cannot believe he's still giving voice to his relationship with Liz Hurley. They were the real golden days. I care a lot. Apparently he was really jealous about her best friendship with Hugh Grant. No surprises there. That relationship is always... uh, confuddled me i don't think it's a word but i thought it was a good use confounded there. you no no no. i really meant confuddled confuddled no no, no. i wanted to do one of those things so you, I think you mean me. befuddled i think i meant confuddled <laughs> i think you'll find uh yeah i find shane warn to be a very interesting creature i have friends who have had shane warn slide into their DMs. oh i know people who the same thing happened yeah. but getting back to hugh grant and liz hurley i don't know many people who wouldn't struggle with their partner being best friends with their ex who they dated for 13 years. Yeah, and they were engaged. Yeah. A whole lot of crap went down there. Hugh Grant's still the godfather of – I say still the godfather as if it changes every <laughs> year – is the godfather of Liv Hurley's child as well. So I don't blame Shane Warne for that. And Hugh Grant also struggles to keep it in his pants as his very messy relationship history and paternity history shows. So does Shane Warne. So she's on a couple of winners there. Her taste in men (laughs) leaves a lot to be desired. Anyway, number four. (laughs) This I found very interesting this week, Michelle. Kira Knightley criticised Kate Middleton's perfect post-baby body appearance. That was on Harper's Bazaar. 
Did you see this around? Kira Knightley to make this comment. I haven't seen this around, but I will say before you jump in with the background, she's been a Chanel model for ages. Yes. And she often puts forward a appearance of perfection i agree so what's the situation what's the situation all right (laughs) nice work goodness me it's late at night when we're recording this if you cannot (laughs) tell um kira knightley wrote an essay um for a feminism journal about uh post baby bodies and feminism in general and she i think she's getting a bad rap with a lot of these headlines she just wrote that it wasn't helpful when kate middleton stepped out after giving birth to baby Louie in this perfect sort of um, kit, you know, perfect hair, perfect body, perfect face. And I didn't think it was especially helpful taking aim at Kate Middleton because let's be honest, it's not Kate Middleton putting her hand up saying, I want to run out there looking like that. It's the establishment. But I did think it's helpful having a conversation about that's not the face of post-baby bodies that we need to see at somebody else. So I think she's getting a bad rap. She's she on in headlines, I think, because people are saying, as they do, Kira Knightley slams Kate Middleton. And I don't think she takes particular issue with Kate Middleton, the, the person, but the act itself. Yeah, it sounds far more salacious than she probably described it to be, yes. I'm sure. I do, I do agree with you. I don't think Kate Middleton's the person to take aim at here. No. <laughs> I think there are plenty of people who have far more control and agency over how they present their post-baby body and... Kate Middleton's not that person. She doesn't have much control at no, all over at all. anything. I don't. That's why I don't think it's particularly helpful for her to be part of that conversation. Take aim at an Instagram influencer who does it. Yeah. Number five, I'll wear whatever I want to our revolution. Emily Ratajkowski fires back after being shamed for not wearing a bra during protests. That is from Yahoo. Emrata. I don't troubles me a yes, little bit. I same, but but then I'm troubled by being troubled. It's a, it's a vicious course. cycle. But this is a much bigger conversation to unpack than right now because what I want to say about this story, given, or I'm going to say, despite the fact that M. Rudder occasionally troubles me with her brand of feminism, I'll say it like that. I think this was an especially unfair story. So M. Rudder and Amy Schumer, along with a lot of other women, protested in Washington D.C. over the weekend because of the Brett Kavanaugh nomination. And they were arrested and went, they were put away for about four hours. And I think they copped about a $50 fine for their protest. But she came out of that and people were having conversations about the fact that she wasn't wearing a bra during that protest. And I'm just exhausted by that fact, because to be honest, if she's going to give up a day of her life and sit for a jail in four hours to put out a sign to her, however many million followers that this isn't okay then I think that's the best possible use of her time and I think that's the best possible thing for all of us. Also, full disclosure, I didn't wear a bra today. Yeah. Are you wearing one right now? No. Okay, there you go. (laughs) But I just don't think that matters. No, why should I? I, Yeah, I I mean, M. Rada's brand of feminism, as I said before you leapt into the context, has frustrated me for a very long time. However, this particular example is totally fine. If you don't want to wear a bra, don't wear a bra. Yeah, exactly. And I think our conversation should be far more directed at how important it is that women like those two are are lending their voices. It's to something that seems so out of reach. Like a, a Supreme Court nomination seems out of reach to a lot of people, even though it's very important. I think for a lot of people, it seems like an issue they don't really understand. So for mainstream celebs to get on board that, I think is very important. By the way, that's all I've got. Totally agree. Also, this isn't oh. a case of her covering herself in spaghetti. So yeah, it's true. Or dancing around naked in the Bloodlines video clip just to come full circle. Oh, wow, you linked that in really well. Thank you so much. Good job. It's all about timings and everyone's life paths matching up for their, you know, for their soul to complete their mission here. Do you look back and think, 
Is there anything that you would do differently? No. As far as I had control, I wouldn't do anything differently. From what, from what was in my grasp, I'm happy. We doubt you missed it, but Blake Garvey might have just been dethroned as the most controversial bachelor in Australian history. On Thursday night, Nick the Honey Badger Cummins decided to break the hearts of not just one, but two women when he told Brittany Hockley and Sophie Tierman he couldn't commit to either of them. Zara, now that the dust has settled a bit and we've heard Nick's exclusive interview on the project, are you angry with him or more sympathetic? Before I watched the interview, I was becoming slowly more sympathetic, not totally sympathetic, but a little more. After watching that interview, I have to say, I have no idea what he's talking about 97% of the time. I truly don't know what he said in that interview. He went around in circles. He threw a bunch of buzzwords together like journey and souls and not meant to be. Timeline, love. Connection. I reckon we could have written a script for him. Yeah, he's a man full of cliches, bogan cliches. I so I do. I definitely am more sympathetic than I was on Thursday night, but I am still overall quite exasperated by what occurred. And I think a lot of people have said in the coming or in the ensuing days, what do we expect him to do? And he said the same thing. What do you expect me to do? Commit to somebody that I, I'm not interested in and then break their heart three months later. And I think for a lot of people who are saying that, I, I think they're kind of missing the point. Do you yeah, think so, so do I. So I don't think his crime was anything to do with the last episode. No, I don't think so either. I think his crime was being on the show to begin with. Yes. So... I might have quite a cynical outlook on this. Never. However, I believe that people like the Honey Badger and Sophie Monk might go on The Bachelor thinking that finding love is a byproduct that would be very, very nice. But I think they mostly go on The Bachelor because they know how beneficial it is to their career Absolutely. and how many additional dollar signs will end up in their bank account. So it was absolutely the kindest thing to do to let these girls down and stop stringing them along. But his crime was signing up to The Bachelor. And I think that really boiled down to a mixture of arrogance and naivety. Totally. Because he came out, before he went on The Bachelor, he did a whole string of interviews saying, I've never watched an episode of this show. I have no idea what it's about. Blah, 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 blah. A whole bunch of crap about his erections and how much he loves looking at women (laughs) in their 90s and in bikinis. I think he completely underestimated how much women love this show yeah how much they read into this show and how much this show can serve as a mirror to culture and dating culture in particular so I think he was quite short-sighted in going on The Bachelor and thinking I'm gonna get all these endorsement deals which he did I'll rattle off some of the some of the endorsement deals he has at the moment he's got Trady Undies, Trady Baby, Beef Australia, Iron Jack Beer, Volkswagen and GoPro so yes, such he's an right. Aussie bloke. Such an Aussie bloke. <laughs> he's right. Some of those endorsement deals would have absolutely come along because he was illuminated into our land rooms at prime time, two nights a week. However, in about half of those cases, in particular, Trady Baby, Beef Australia, Volkswagen, what he completely ignored is that the people buying these products aren't actually men, they're women. And you are a fool if you go on national television, isolate women, and then ask them to buy your products. Because I can tell you right now, the vast majority of women who sat down to watch The Bachelor will not be running out to go buy a product that he is attaching his name to because 
why would we? I don't know if I necessarily agree. I don't, I agree with you in that it's, it's terrible for his brand, terrible what he's done for brand. But I don't think that, that people are sitting there making active decisions about what they are and aren't going to buy depending on what his name is. I don't think an ad for Trady Baby will be very successful but for the next been, month and a half. Oh, but it's been in our, in our lounge rooms and in our consiousness now for three months, I don't think the next month really matters. I think it's already done its job. Potentially, is, but I maybe. think I don't think it's establishing whether Trady Baby has succeeded at this. They probably have. I think it's establishing oh, how much the Honey Badger's is, marketability is going to be affected. Yeah, from this and he's going to have to go to ground for a while, for sure. I don't think it's going to be um, as detrimental to his brand as it was for Blake Garvey's. However, to me, I, I kind of have a similar line of thought to you, and this might sound a little harsh, but if there's one thing I've thought of more in the last few days than anything it's how blinding greed can be and I know that that word greed is very harsh but money when money is a motivator we don't realize how how much that robs us of our perspective and our sense of foresight I think he accepted this massive attractive paycheck and and I think when you're faced with that amount of money, and I don't actually know if we have a specific figure, I, I think it's upwards of a quarter of a million dollars. It was rumored to be a quarter of a million. Yeah. And when you're faced with that much money, I think there's a subtext that comes with that, which makes you assume that the problems that can come with it pale in comparison to the dollars in your bank account and or can be addressed at a later date. You are just, you, you see that and you think, well, why not? What could possibly go wrong? I might as well try. For me, that was one of the biggest things I've learned. The other thing which I have been overwhelmed with this week, and I think you are the same, is the amount of messages uh, in our Instagram, on our Facebook from women who said the show's result was far more personal than anyone would probably care to admit in that this was, of course, a reality show that is fluffy and silly, but this was a story that a lot of women have been through themselves. Absolutely. And I don't think we can hold it against a man for going on a show like this and not falling in love. That's not what we're saying. I think the problem is, is that Nick Cummins went on this show, told a bunch of women exactly mm. what they wanted to hear, was more than willing to make out with them in hot tubs and tell them that they're the perfect woman and think about a life together and pump their tires up. And he really made a mistake in telling these women everything they wanted to hear and then completely ghosting them when it really mattered. And it reminds so many people of exactly what they've mm. been through with guys in real life. Everyone's been ghosted. I've been ghosted. And it's baffling when it happens to you because you feel like you're on the same page and everything seems like it's going in the right direction. And he's the one pushing everything forward. And he's the one talking about the future and putting all these ideas in your head only to then drop you like a sack of potatoes when it really matters. Because you're moving too fast. Yeah, and that he's not sure if he can commit anymore. What actually counts, he's not going to be there. I think for me, I it shows a lot about the disconnect between men and women when it comes to the dating game. I have met so many men who approach the dating game or the end of a relationship by saying, I don't want to hurt this woman, right? And that is at the forefront of their mind is that they don't want to hurt them and they just want to do the right thing. But in often dancing around wanting to hurt the woman, they hurt her much worse. I think a lot of men don't give adequate a lot of men don't give adequate explanations. And I think for me, this was so true in two things that he did. For example, the honey badger reached out to Brit's brother after the show. And I think that's a case of him not wanting to, I don't know, maybe upset Brit by, by his name landing in her inbox. But I think that's so misguided to go to a brother rather than the direct source. The other thing that he did that, because he didn't want to let 
either of these women down in the moment was he said, at this point, our journey is over. And that really frustrated me because I think a lot of women have heard that in that it leaves that sort of opening of hope saying, well, if at this point it's over, that doesn't necessarily mean at a later date it can't open back up. And that's them not wanting to, that's them wanting to let these women down lightly when in reality they're ruining them far more than they understand. Yeah. Instead of saying never, he's saying just not right now. Yes. Which is incredibly confusing. And cowardly. Yeah. It was funny because when I watched it on Thursday night, I did what we always do with the finale, which was get a bunch of girlfriends together Mm. at one of our houses and we order junk food and we all watch the batch finale together it was like every variable reaction was in that room with us. So there Mm. were four women, myself, my friend Maddie, Emily and Aisha. Emily was immediately sympathetic. So she was looking at him going, he's done the best thing he possibly could. He didn't like any of them. That's fine. Maddie was the most outraged person I've ever seen, which there were a lot of these type of women in our Facebook group. And Aisha was just analytical going, how did this happen? What now? Mm. Why would a man go on a show like this if he wasn't ready to commit? And I think I was much the same that he continually spoke about timelines and it seemed a lot to me like he didn't want a woman who wasn't willing to collapse into his life exactly as it Mm. already was. So his main reasoning for not wanting Brooke was that, oh, it was too hard. She needed to be in Perth. So that was an automatic write-off. It was almost too complicated and too difficult. The same with Brit and Sophie. If they weren't willing to immediately collapse into the exact parameters that he had already set around for his existence then they weren't the woman for him and that was it and it was all a bit too tricky and too hard it just sounded like he was looking for any hole to jump through to get out of the mess that he had created for himself and I think his management is largely to blame whoever told him to go on this show when he had no Mm. prior experience of what it was really about is just foolish he is marketing a book at the moment which will be interesting to see how the sales actually go for that. I think it's basically the headline is something like the life according to the honey badger, I think which it, is it was, laughable. It, yeah, there were some funny um, photos going around about like how to live a good life Yeah, according to the honey badger. Yeah, and I, I am really upset with the way that this series is going. I know that we sound like we're talking really seriously about a reality TV show, but it is important to a lot of women and women do invest their time into it. And so we want to see a certain kind of result. And it's frustrating to see the honey badger use as a promotional tool for his book and for all these endorsement deals. And then to see Ellie Ochen, who's about to debut as The Bachelorette, launch a fitness ebook. I don't have a problem per se with people going on there with career aspirations because that's just the reality of the whole scenario. I expect them, though, to be a little more open-minded to the idea of love than the Honey Badger appeared to be. What I think, um, having watched this, and I have no doubt that the honey badger really means well, and I think that's the problem with a lot of men in the dating scene is they they don't know what they're doing wrong, and they have no idea why people get so upset about this kind of thing. But I don't think we can underestimate how a man entering the dating scene while not actually being ready for a partner can ruin a woman. And I've been thinking a lot why anecdotally across my friendships, across our conversations in the last few days in our Facebook group, why it's always the man who isn't ready and it's the woman who is ruined by the scenario. And I think it comes down to a couple of things, which are emotional intelligence and emotional maturity. We know that women uh, mature emotionally faster than men. That is science. But I think the other thing is that we are told that A, we have ticking biological clocks and B, we're not complete humans. This is obviously not 
a fact, but this is how we are treated, that we're not complete humans unless we have somebody by our side. And there's so much more pressure for us to couple up. And I think this is why we're finding so many women in this scenario and men who are very confused why people care so much, by why women care so much. And I think with women, it's more of a feeling or a sense that a man is wasting your time. Yes, don't just don't go in. Don't go on the dating app. Don't go on the show. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's exactly what Brit and Sophie and Brooke and Cass all vocalized with their interview with Lisa Wilkinson is that they felt like they had wasted months of their life on this man mm. who was never going to pick any of them. I think we can safely say that he probably wasn't either because he didn't understand the enormity of the show, the timelines at which they had to work with uh, in order to find somebody. And I don't think it's a very good guy thing to do. He has this shtick of being a good bloke and a decent Aussie bloke. So, sorry to interrupt you there, but so many of my friends who have dated guys do have the good guy shtick, yeah. who are known by their friends as being a really good guy, and yet suddenly when it comes to dating, they're the worst guys. Yeah, and he's lev leveraged his entire career off that. It makes it even more infuriating that when all of this shit is going down, he is off in Papua New Guinea escaping it. The women didn't get the privilege of escaping the media, the media and the interviews and the questions that were going to be peppered at them. Whereas he, the man who put them in this situation, was able to flee to another country and, and never think about it again. It. Exactly. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I found that quite cowardly that he wasn't willing to sit around while the circus was taking place and, you know, be a part of that conversation. Kerry Sackville, who is a columnist in uh, for Fairfax, wrote a piece this weekend, perfectly timed, but she wrote about Stu Laundy, funnily enough, and Stu did, who, um, for those who have already forgotten, dated Sophie Monk for a hot minute and a half, and he did an interview with Sammy Lucas on her dating uh, podcast, and he was talking about how in the wake of his divorce for the first two years that he was dating women, and this was a direct quote, none of those women stood a chance because he wasn't over the divorce, and I think this is half the issue is that none of the women dating people like the Honey Badger or Sue stand a chance because there are so many other issues at play that they don't deal with before they step into this kind of dating game. And it sounds incredibly harsh because it is, but he did seem a little bit emotionally stunted. <laughs> no, he was totally emotionally stunted. I think you can see that um, on the show and spectacularly imma immature too. Um, because on the project interview, he said, I would love to put this all behind us and, and go for a drink. Any man that thinks that those women are going to get a drink with him, given all that they've been through, is is so misguided. Yeah, and it, it's almost like to him it was an experiment that just didn't work yes. out. But for these women who might have quit their jobs, put their lives on hold, it is a seismic shift in the way they see themselves and the way their lives are now broadcast to the world. Nick Cummins has always been a public figure. His life has always been fodder for tabloids and the Daily Mail, whereas these women were never public figures before and they've paid the ultimate price. I mean, the, yeah, they're going to get Instagram followers and some of them will want to be influencers and yada, yada, yada. It'll take, they'll be famous for about two minutes. Yeah, and I'm sure that Sophie or Brooke will end up being next year's Bachelorette. And I yeah, I think they it'll are. be Sophie. But he is totally totally and completely underestimated how much women will take this on board and how much will it will influence his reputation in the long haul. I think anyway, I don't think women will look very favorably upon him at all for quite some time. One of his main crimes for me was using the same speech basically for both I hated that. Yeah, for both Brit and Sophie, and to not to say sorry as well, there wasn't one apology in either of those speeches. It was more just, oh, we're, this is the end of the road for us. And it's also not you, it's me. 
Yeah. To finish this segment on a positive note, I would like to add <laughs> <How>? that <laughs> for a season that continually pitted women against women, so we had the mean girls, then we had the uh, bisexuality baiting of Brooke, then we had the slut shaming of Cass, which was one of the most abhorrent conversations I think I've seen on national television, prying information out of Cass as to whether or not she had sex with Nick Cummins. I think it was really nice to see female friendship prevail over everything Mm. at the very, very end. And I do wish that they had finished with that final scene of Sophie and Brit hugging each other at the end. I think that would have been a gorgeous scene to finish on instead of Nick walking soberly down the beach. Yeah, I agree with you. It was a very nice antidote to the to the messages that that show tries to sell us about females not getting on. So if if they take something from this this season, it has to be a don't pick someone as as emotionally stunted and clueless as Nick Badger and show us more females that get along because to be honest that's the stuff that people do want to see that's the stuff that women want to see and then again honey badgers do like to live alone in their own little holes apparently so perhaps this was truly for the best agreed look at you it's true all right back to the people people who just want the life so now who are you like fair weather friends yeah yeah I know those are, the one, those are the ones that help you get into all the trouble that you got into. I mean, clearly, you well, know. Well, it was a lot, in all honesty, it was, you know, living in L.A. and my, my mom telling me to come back home and me not listening because I didn't want to throw myself back into, I wanted to keep busy with work. Uh-huh. And then when I stopped working after working for, you know, doing 20-something odd films for a, straight yeah. and then kind of having nothing to do. I was like, oh, wait, I can, I can actually go to a club now. I never went to college and had that experience. What I didn't realize was there's cameras watching all the time. Uh-huh. At the and club. this was kind of the beginning of it all. So yeah. it was very manic. And I, and I am a very honest person. So I'm like, well, if I want to go, I'm going to go. So what am I going to do? Lock myself at home every day? And, yeah. and, and you live and you learn. And then you had the hangers-on friends who convinced you, oh, Lindsay, you're fine. Let's go. Yeah. Are you still friends <laughs> with them? Um, Whoever I don't really talk to any of the people that I really hung out with in Los Angeles. No, no. This week, it was announced Misha Barton would be joining the revival of The Hills. It's a return to the public eye for Barton, who has had quite a massive few years and just last year was hospitalised for an evaluation after struggling with mental health issues. In the same week, Lindsay Lohan made headlines for trying to kidnap a homeless refugee child on the streets of Russia and documenting that on her Instagram. Mish, with these fallen teen stars finding their way back into the new cycle, is it 2018 or is it 2008? God, it feels a lot like 2008, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. We've just flashed back to about 10 years ago. It's fascinating to see both of these women are 32, Misha Barton and Lindsay Lohan are 32. so young given how long they've been in the public eye. Right. It seems like they should be 45. They're both 32 and they've both been through quite a similar upbringing and that Mm. they were thrust into the glare of the spotlight at a very, very young age. They both struggled with that considerably but have now come out the other side of it in very, very different ways. Lindsay Lohan is a story that fascinates and terrifies me because it's difficult she's made a meme at the same time as she's clearly someone who is mentally unwell and struggling significantly so how do you deal with that when she's all over your instagram feed and people are joking about her dancing in mykonos and then on the other hand she's literally trying to snatch kids off the street in moscow i was going to ask you about this because i thought that video of her dancing in mykonos came at a very interesting time I am no expert in a lot of things, but I think 
that I enjoyed that video of her and Mykonos like a lot of people enjoyed it. It was just a funny, jokey video of somebody dancing in a silly way. But at the end of the day, we weren't laughing with her. We were laughing at her. And she, for a very long time, has been the butt of our jokes. She's like the kid at school who is doing sort of strange, quirky things and we're egging her on by giggling, but we're not giggling with her, we're giggling at her. To put context around what she did for anyone who didn't catch the story, Lindsay Lohan pursued a homeless family for blocks and blocks, saying she wanted to take their little boys to her hotel and show them movies before attempting to take the boy's hand and pull him away from his mother. The mother then punched her in the face. The entire thing was live streamed on her Instagram and obviously made headlines around the world. I can't help but think we love seeing beautiful women like Lindsay Lohan and like Misha Barton fall because we still struggle to handle beautiful, successful, rich women. And when we watch them rise, we're happy for them. But part of us is also thinking there's got to be some chips in their armor there's got to be some chinks in their armor or there's got to be some cracks that we can't some see. Some fries in their armor. There's got to be some, there's got to be, I'm actually holding yeah, a fry I as I say that, which makes it even, we've got some grilled fries sitting in front of us because it's very late at night while we record this, which makes it even funnier. But we almost want to see women who have it all, in inverted commas, stumble and fall. And I don't know why that is, but we no, do find true. it quite titillating. Absolutely. To peer behind the curtain and see that everything's not as it seems. Well, I thought it was quite interesting that we intended to do this segment and we didn't even specify that we were going to talk about fallen teen women. We were going to talk about fallen teen stars. And yet when you go to name the top, four or five fallen teen stars, they are all women. We're talking Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan, Amanda Bynes, maybe even Drew Barrymore to a certain point. And I Googling these women is terrifying. All you come up with in your Google feed is photos of their fall, timelines of their fall from grace. And it does make me wonder who actually is to blame. Who is to blame for this? Is it the outlets or the consumer. I mean, we clearly crave this content, but do we crave it because it's there? Or and it, like you said, is it because we crave this eventual fall that that it serves? I don't know. This might sound a little weird, but it serves those who kind of hate capitalism a little bit, or who hate the fact that people have more than them. That money and fame isn't everything, and that it can ruin you. It's probably closely tied to jealousy. Yeah, the, the women we're jealous of. We just love seeing them brought back down to our level, and I think we both know we've worked in digital media, and we know what stories people click on. And a train wreck woman story is probably the most salacious and clicky out there. Why don't we care about train wreck men? Probably because train wreck men are seen more as bad boy figures. So when Justin Bieber goes off the rails and buys a monkey and then deserts that monkey in Germany, that's seen as funny and quirky and what a rebel and he's just going through a phase. Whereas when we see women like that... I think it's a sad thing Mm. in terms of how we frame these conversations is that's so sad. There's an element of faux concern around it that there's sort of no hope or no way back for them. And maybe you're right, maybe we see men who do this as hopeless and maybe just going through a phase, but we just don't care. Yeah. Just going back a second to the point you made before about who's to blame. I do honestly believe 
it's a mixture between whoever's managing these women and their families. Because, for example, Misha Barton, when she was playing Marissa Cooper in the OC, which I'm sure a lot of the people listening at home to this would have watched the OC and loved it as much as you and I did, Zara. But when she was playing Marissa Cooper, she was Marissa Cooper's age, right? She was 16 and 17 when she was growing up. Her co-stars were not that age. Ben Mm. McKenzie, Adam Brody and Rachel Bilson were all in their 20s, one of them in their 30s, I'm pretty sure, when worldwide fame knocked on their doors. So she was the show's biggest star and in her final years of teenagerdom played everything out in front of the prying eyes of the paparazzi and the media. And I can't help but think, what do we do to women when we typecast them as socialites? And she was sort of the perfect character, albeit flawed, but she was the girl that everybody wanted to be. Yeah, and we we confused Marissa Cooper, the character, with Misha Barton, the person. And Misha Barton was written about in tabloids and newspapers as a socialite from the moment she turned 17. And that's four years before she was legally allowed to do any of the things that socialites are renowned for. We thrust these children and these teenagers into adult positions and then we act surprised when they falter and fall. I wonder as well just thinking out loud as we have this conversation if it has a lot to do with the characters we allow women to play in film, TV, even as musicians in that they often have to be the good girl because we can't we can't deal with characters who aren't good. So thinking about Lindsay Lohan for example, she was the ultimate little good girl in The Parent Trap. I mean, she was a little bit of a rebel, but she was very um, within the confines of what we expect of a young girl to be. Same as Marissa Cooper. She wasn't that controversial apart from, you know, maybe dating a woman once, which was so outrageous for the time. But I wonder if because we struggle to separate these women and a lot of actors and actresses from their character, that their fall seems so much more pronounced because we often see them in the framework of their work. I don't know. I read a piece on The Guardian from Jill Filipovich and All I want to read is her lead because I thought her lead was brilliant, her first sentence. She said, Beautiful women who fall apart serve a necessary cultural purpose. They're a warning against overindulgence and narcissism. I thought that was a brilliant way to start a story and it's like, bang, straight to the point. Don't hide that lead. Yeah, absolutely. I... I can't help but feel a little bit frustrated with MTV, actually. I know that lots of people are really excited about Misha Barton being Mm. on the hills, and I think that's great. And if she's in a better place, I love that, and I think it'll be great for her. However, it's quite ironic that MTV has leapt on both Lindsay Lohan and Misha Barton at the exact same time. So they're preparing for this reboot of The Hills. At the very same time, they're preparing a reality TV show called Lohan Beach House, following Lindsay Lohan's exploits as a resort manager on Mykonos. Mm. It is interesting to me that the executives at MTV have looked at both of these women who have openly struggled within the last 12 months. Oh, this it wasn't is very long stuff. ago. Misha, Misha Barton was struggling mentally within the last year. It's very precarious to me that these women are now going to be the center of reality TV shows when perhaps, I don't know this for sure, but perhaps they're not ready for that. No, I agree. And I can't see for one, how Lindsay Lohan is ready for that. I do struggle with the the hypocrisy of progressive youth media, a little bit like MTV right now, who who want to shine a light on mental health when it's easy and convenient for them, when it might drive traffic or um, when it might be an easy, neat story to tell, not very complex. But when people are struggling publicly and in real time, I struggle with the outlets who are happy to report on that. 
um, given the enormity of these women's mental health struggle. It's like we don't consider it in the same realm as as regular mental health struggles because like we have a conversation or like we talk about, sorry, on this podcast a lot, people often talk about their mental health struggles or any struggles in the past as if it's done and they're easy ones to tell. So it's often like they don't consider them in the same category. I think that I think the media have a lot to answer for in how we actually deal with these women too. So do I and it will be a sword that MTV might fall on if both of these women aren't cannot, ready to be on TV. I cannot see how this Lindsay Lohan show can go well. Yeah, I know. It'll be very Maybe interesting Michelle. to watch The Hills. Misha is dating an Australian, I think, as well at the moment. Ah. So perhaps she is turning her life around, and I really, really hope that she is because she's been through some dark times. But that's exactly as you said, turning your life around is one thing, but freeing yourself from mental illness is no easy feat. Once you have mental illness, it's probably something that you'll be dealing with for the majority of your life. So, And how is going back into the public guy going to help that cause exactly right it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out thank you so much for joining us for episode 31 i think that's all we've got i think that's all we've got before we go we say this a lot but we are a little independent podcast um it is just michelle and i here so if you do love the podcast if you love shameless and you want to help us you can do a couple of things the first i would say is if you're not subscribed to the show subscribe that helps us (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. Please. The second thing is you can tell a friend, invite them to our Facebook group, which is called Shameless Celebrity Gossip, or send them this episode or pop it on your Instagram story. Take a screenshot of you listening and tell people that Shameless is the best podcast you've ever heard. You don't have to say that. No, the best podcast you've ever heard. Say this is an okay listen is totally fine. Best podcast ever. Keep putting it on your Instagram (laughs) stories. We love seeing it. And I think that helps more than anything. So keep doing that. Thank you so much for all your support. We will see you guys in the Facebook group, perhaps on Instagram, maybe in real life. (laughs) Who knows? Probably not. We'll chat next week, guys. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.